0: Good morning. For those of you basses out here, um, that one was fun, right? <laughs> I love that song. It's, uh, I, every time we sing it, I'm always like, it is more difficult than I remembered last time. It doesn't matter. Um, you pitch it right on, and it's like, basses are low, sopranos are high, let's enjoy this. Uh, I, and, and even the tenors are high. I'm like, I can't even switch to tenor. And my sweet spot isn't written in that song. So I don't know about y'all, but I love it, though. The words are absolutely beautiful. That's not what I was coming to say. What was I coming to say? No, I'm kidding. Um, I came to preach, and I'm glad you're here, because there are plenty of things to be talking about, plenty of things going on, and especially leading into next week. So next week is Easter Sunday, and Easter Sunday is one of the two main Sundays where a lot of our community members are more apt to be receptive to an invitation to come to church. In other words, last week, we had Dr. Stafford North up here, and he was convincing, convicting, and trying to get all of us to get on board with evangelizing our community. And he gave some pretty simple steps. He gave uh, some wonderful setup uh, through Scripture of how Jesus did it. And here's the lacking thing, or here's the missing thing, or here's the thing that we need to continue with. Go and do. So, Next week, Easter Sunday, that gives you about six days, six and a half, to invite someone next week, because next week is a special day. It's a fantastic weekend, not only for LTC stuff, but just what we get to proclaim to a world that needs to hear the good news about our Savior. So we're going to start off next week with a sunrise service. Ray, are we going at seven? I couldn't remember. All right, so seven o'clock. Um, in the morning, if you think, well, that's not sunrise as of the sun rising, then just think that it's the sun, God's sun rising service, all right? That's what we're going to be looking at, focus on, and those of you that showed up last year or have showed up in the past, it's going to be blessing. If it's anything like what we've done in the past, we will serve communion there and we, it'll be a wonderful time of worship. We're going to meet on this porch over here is the plan, um, that way we- weather, whether the weather holds up or not, we will be fine. But uh, we will have that, and then we'll dismiss for breakfast and come back for Bible classes and our worship together. So that's what's happening, uh, a preview of what's happening next week, and I hope that you can be there. starting a new series this morning, and I want to start by remembering. I, I remember whenever I was a kid. I'm probably not old enough to be able to say that yet, am I? Well, I still remember whenever I was a kid. Um, there, was, there was some particular things that we would do as a community um, that would really uh, it, w- it would fascinate me and kind of, I don't know, it, it was weird in my upbringing. And maybe you're like me, but at, at a few of our community gatherings um, outside of church service, we would pause, and as a whole community, we would recite the Lord's Prayer. How many of you have done that other than at church? Yeah, you've done that in a few places. We used to do this even some before games, um, and, and we'd do it with the team. Which, like, I knew some of these guys on the team, and I'm like, you're not believing one word that you're saying. But then again, who am I to judge? Because they're saying these beautiful words. And so many times, I was hesitant because of my upbringing. And maybe you can relate to this. My upbringing was skeptical of whether we should even say the Lord's Prayer. Should we even talk about God's kingdom coming? Because hasn't it already come? So should we be praying for it? Or the other aspect that I was skeptical of is that's what other churches did. And if Churches of Christ were known for anything is not doing what other churches did. We wanted to make sure that we were different, we were unique, we were set apart because set apart meant holy and holy meant we were right with God. And so that's where we stood a lot of times, right? But there's something absolutely beautiful about the Lord's Prayer. In fact, if you want to say it with me, Let's say it together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever. Amen. One of these series and, and sermon series, I'm going to go through the whole Lord's Prayer. And we're going to break that down because it's a beautiful thing of what a model should look like. But this morning, I want to use it as a kickoff kick for a different kind of series because there's one line in here that I find very provocative. It's provocative in the, in the sense that it provokes you to see the world the way it should be. The line is this, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Meaning what that prayer is saying is whatever it is, however the rule is up in heaven, Lord, would you make that rule here? Whatever your will be, is done in heaven, whatever that looks like, can we have that here too? And that is a provocative prayer because whenever you think about how heaven works, how God's reign works, how his will works, you kind of want that here too, don't you? You want his will and his reign to be our Lord, our master, our savior. This is our constitution. This is who we are. This is what it's about. This kingdom that God established. See, in the times of Jesus, he was coming, and and in time of this prayer, he was coming to establish this kingdom. So he was talking about something that they had heard about, but he talked about it of saying, it is soon. It is coming soon. In fact, Matthew even records that Jesus, from the very beginning of his ministry, preached, began to preach like this, repent of your sins, turn to God, for the kingdom of heaven is near. In fact, Jesus loved to talk about the kingdom of heaven. He talked about it in many different ways. He tried to show it and illustrate it in different ways. In fact, most often he would talk about it in the, in, in short stories. We call them parables, and they would often start like this: "The kingdom of heaven is like," and he gives us a little picture a little glimpse of this kingdom of heaven because his whole purpose in doing this was not just to prepare, not just to pray for this kingdom, but to prepare people for its coming because it's coming. But to fully understand what Jesus is saying in these parables and fully understand his prep, maybe we need to get into the mindset of the Jews of that time. See, if that, during that time, the Jews were of this mentality that they were ready for God's kingdom. They had listened to the prophets of old. They have heard the promises uh, given to David, given to Moses, given to Abraham, given to prophets. They knew that there was going to be God's kingdom coming. The Old Testament was very clear. And they're waiting for this Messiah that is going to usher in this kingdom. See, the thing is, they had maybe a different view of what that kingdom looked like. See, they understood that that would be a great and mighty king. That it would be a great and mighty kingdom led by a great and mighty king. They understood that. They also thought that this would be someone who would lead them out of the oppression that they'd been feeling for so many years. Just as in the time of the judges or in the time of the kings of old, whenever they would disobey God and then God would send them a leader to bring them back, to get them out of the oppression, to kick out these foreign nations. Well, now the foreign nation was big, bad, and scary. It was the Romans. They were in charge. And every Jew dreamed of the day that we could send Rome packing, kick him out of our land so that we can establish God's kingdom. And that kingdom would be an empire in their minds. It would rule the world. They maybe thought of this leader of this kingdom uh, to be some form of David, a son of David. And maybe have some of the uh, heavenly beautiful things and and the the scary things of the plagues that Moses was able to show the people. They were ready for a kingdom like that. But Jesus came along and he said, your view's not all wrong. This kingdom is going to change the world. It's going to infiltrate every piece of this world. But it's not going to do it by the ways that you think. It's going to do it in a very different way. Instead of beating everyone into submission, it will submit itself to be beaten. And it's going to be different. We now call it an upside-down kingdom because it's very different than the world promotes. But Jesus was in the middle of it trying to speak to a people that had no clue what they were looking for. But he tried to give them little pieces, little views of what it might be like. So this morning I'm going to look at four different parables Don't worry, they're all very short. Four different parables that give us a glimpse of the kingdom of heaven. And this is meant to prepare us for next week when we get to talk about the king that died and rose again to establish his kingdom that reigns still. So the four parables, two of them are together in one place, two of them are in another place. They're all in Matthew chapter 13. So in Matthew chapter 13, it says this starting verse 31 here's another illustration jesus used the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed planted in a field it is the smallest of all seeds but it becomes the largest of the garden plants it grows into a tree and birds come and make nests in its branches jesus also used this illustration the kingdom of heaven is like the yeast a woman used to make bread even though she put only a little yeast, yeast in the three measures of flour, it permeated every part of the dough. Now those of you who garden, or maybe those of you who, um, who bake bread, can identify with both these illustrations. You have on one hand a mustard seed. If you've ever must, ha, seen a mustard seed, you know that if I, I thought about bringing one as an illustration, then I thought that's pretty futile. You wouldn't be able to see it from here. I could just totally lie and say, I have a mustard seed in my hand, and you'd have to believe me because you couldn't see it. The thing is tiny. It's a really small seed. You lose it on your countertop, you lose it on your floor, good luck, because you won't find it very easily. It's a very tiny, insignificant-seeming, unnoticeable seed. But give it time. Give it the right circumstances. And it grows. It grows. It may not grow absolutely huge, but it's a pretty impressive and very potent plant that it grows into. Yeast is very similar. Just a little bit of yeast is really small. Seemingly insignificant. Never mind the fact that it's actually a living thing. It's an organism. You can kind of overlook it. But put it in the right conditions, put it in some flour, You work it, and it will work all the way through the dough, causing it to rise. Jesus says, This is is what the kingdom of God is like. Now, if you're expecting the kingdom of God to go against the Roman Empire, you might be thinking, What? That's not a kingdom that I want. Jesus says, The kingdom of God is like this it starts small. It may seem insignificant. One small act of kindness, one little move, one kind word, one thing done in love. And you may think, hmm, what's that going to do? It's just a drop in the water, right? But it grows. Give it time. Give it the right circumstances. It grows, and it will touch absolutely everything. Just wait. I love how Jesus is talking about this in the kingdom, But I'm going to say, first off, this already pushes against what I want from the kingdom of God. I find myself like the Jews a lot of times. What I want from the kingdom of God sometimes is for it to establish itself so clearly and to fix this world. Don't you? I mean, don't you pray for that sometimes, especially when we pray for our nation and the direction it's going? I'm just saying, Lord, can you just step in and fix it? Show your kingdom here now. Make it so clear that everyone, everyone's going to go. All right, all right, we're in. And I'm not going to lie. Sometimes I get a little, I don't know, upset. That may not be the right word. Unimpressed with God's tactics. I say that tongue in cheek. What I mean by that is, sometimes I see God do something, and I'm like, Wow, that was that was cool, God, but that was really small. That wasn't big. Give it time. Just wait. Sometimes that one small act can grow. I remember whenever I was in high school, I may have told this story before, so bear with me if I've told it, uh, if, if you hear it again. I was moved halfway through my junior year, and so new school, new friends, no one knew me from Adam. They didn't even know Adam in my family, so it was fine. Um, they had no backing to understand that my family was a church family. See, my hometown, it was generations. In a new town, I was the new kid. And that ended up being a really interesting dynamic for this guy who had never understood people looking at me other than being, oh, he's the church kid. I could be my identity whatever I want. Well, I had some friends that really awesome people. And I had one friend in particular that became my best friend there. Now, he was a Christian, but he was not a churchgoer if you can be that. And he had interesting thoughts and ideas, and we talk about them, but a lot of times I would refrain from participating in some of the things that he participated in. Whether it be some of the language, some of the movies he watched, or some of the songs he listened to, and I'd, I'd refrain. I didn't make a big deal about it. It was small, insignificant little gestures. Years later, he calls me up. He says, Mitch, you remember how this night... We were watching a movie, and you excused yourself because the movie didn't have the right kind of, you, you know, material that you wanted to see. He goes, Mitch, in all my years of knowing you, I've never heard you to say a curse word. He said, I always wondered why. He goes, I, I, I knew something was different. He goes, but now I know. See, we had lost contact for a little bit, but he comes back, and he calls me, and he says, I have given my life to Christ. In fact, I am studying to be a minister, That little small example that you gave me showed me. And I'm just floored because I'm like, I did nothing. Really? Small act, small movements sometimes have some beautiful, lasting effects in God's kingdom. See, a lot of times we want evangelism um, like the the Jews wanted their kingdom. Like, we want that one big study, that one big event. Let's say we get the big-name preacher, you know, like Stafford North, to come in and preach. Maybe he's available sometime. We get him to preach, and we want everyone to come and hear him and give their lives to Jesus because of the fantastic venue and the sermon and all the things happening. We would love that, wouldn't we? thing is, that's not how it always works. Sometimes it does. But it doesn't always work that way. Sometimes it's just one small seed. Sometimes it's just one little piece of yeast that gets thrown into a crazy world. Give it time. Just wait. The kingdom of God is going to show up. Shows up maybe as something small and insignificant. But give it time. It affects everything. All right, that's the first two parables. Parables. Second two are just a few verses later, but I think they add a picture that we need to see in preparing for the kingdom of God in our lives. So the second two come just literally a few verses later in verse 44. It says this, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure that a man discovered hidden in the field. In his joy, he hid it again and sold everything he owned to get enough money to buy the field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant on the lookout for choice pearls. When he discovered the pearl of great value, he sold everything he owned and bought it. Okay, the first treasure is hidden in a field. It's then discovered. It seems quite by accident. We're not given this idea that he goes in searching for this treasure. It's almost that he stumbles upon the treasure. But he sees it for what it is. It is a treasure of great value, sells everything he has, to buy the field in order to get the treasure. The second treasure is related to as a pearl. Now this pearl is one that the merchant is searching for. A little bit different than the first parable where he stumbles upon the treasure in a field, this merchant has been searching for this pearl. He's been going and examining all the other pearls that this world has to offer, seeing if any of them are the right one. And when he sees the right one, he knows it. He knows its true value. He sells everything he has to buy that one pearl. Now this is, I would probably say, not Dave Ramsey approved finances. This is putting all your eggs in one basket. And this is not, how you should, this is not parables about finances because this is probably not the best advice. This is, these are parables about the value of the kingdom of God. In fact, I believe what is actually happening is that Jesus is actually piggybacking off of the point of the first sermons, the first parables. He's saying the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed and it's like yeast. It starts off small and then it grows and does something amazing. Notice both of these treasures are small or hidden. Any passerby through this field may not have noticed that the treasure was buried. Anyone not necessarily looking for a pearl, let's be honest, pearls aren't that big. You could totally miss the pearl that this man was searching for. But he adds one layer deeper. Jesus adds one layer deeper here. It's not just something small. It's something of great value. Not just monetary value, but personal value because these guys sell everything they have to buy in. To what Jesus is proclaiming as the kingdom of God. You know, sometimes we talk about the cost of discipleship. We read about how Jesus said, Take up your cross and follow me. And we talk about that there's a cost for following him. You have to sacrifice your own life and give it all to him. Sometimes what we would forget to talk about is what Jesus gives as the truth in these two parables there's a cost but it is worth it. This treasure may seem small, it may seem insignificant, but it has value much more than you can imagine, and it's going to affect this whole world. See, the kingdom of God is a priceless treasure, but a lot of people uh, might try to talk you out of this whole religion thing. You may have friends and neighbors and relatives in your life that have have heard the Christian story and they haven't fully seen the effects and that's probably to our detriment. They haven't seen what it really looks like and they say, you know what? A little religion is fine. A little bit of this church thing, it's fine. But don't get too crazy with it. Don't get too fanatical. Don't go and sell all your stuff and give it to the church. That's just crazy talk. They're going to try to talk you out of it because they don't understand that it's worth it. Every bit that you give into this kingdom is worth it because it pays dividends like yeast. It pays dividends like a mustard seed. That's not the reason we do it is to get something in return. We do it because we love the kingdom. We love the king, but in so doing, we are blessed as part of this kingdom that continues to reign. I want to ask you where you find yourself in especially these last two stories about the treasure and the pearl. Because I believe anyone who has found or seen the kingdom of God finds themselves in one of these two uh, scenarios. You are either the, the, the man that happens upon the treasure in the field. You weren't really looking for the church. You weren't looking for Christianity. You just happened to stumble across it. Someone came into your life, you know, they knocked on your door at some point and asked if you knew Jesus, Or maybe they did something in your community. They did something um, just down at your neighbor's house that you're like, wow, what kind of people would go and do that? You weren't looking for it, but there it was. And once you've seen it, you can't unsee something like that. You can't unsee the beauty of the kingdom at work. Or maybe you're like this merchant, who you have spent your entire life going to different churches, going to different thoughts, reading all sorts of different books, talking to anyone you can, you are searching for this kingdom of God. And you found it. When you see it, when you feel it, whenever you experience that kingdom, now what? See, I believe inherent in these two short parables that Jesus gives, these last two, inherent in there is saying, okay, you found the treasure. What are you going to do with it? Now what? Notice the response of both these gentlemen. They sell everything they have to purchase what they see of great value. To them, it is worth it. It is absolutely worth it to find this treasure and to buy into it. What Jesus is trying to get across through these parables both to his original hearers and to us. Is that this kingdom that he is establishing, it may seem small, it may seem insignificant, it may just be little things that you're like, is that really much of a kingdom? Give it time. Let it grow. Because before too long, you're going to see that this is of great value. Not just in monetary ideas, in fact, maybe despite monetary ideas. This value has eternal ramifications. This value changes how we view life itself. This value is so impressive that of all the kingdoms that have been established on the face of this earth, it's the only one that is still lasting In time, other kingdoms rise or they may fall. But God's kingdom, the one that Jesus was preparing us for, the one that Jesus asked us to pray for, that kingdom will reign forever. It may be small in its deeds, it may be small in the personalities, it may use people that are seemingly pretty insignificant. Otherworldly standards. But watch out because those kind of kingdom people who have that treasure within their hand and within their grasp, they're going to change the world. They're going to change our communities. They're going to change how we perceive life. And it's all the way from our youth to our eldest and everyone in between. It's men, it's women, it's everyone that is invited to be part of this kingdom. That may seem small. You may seem insignificant. But one act at a time. One small step. Look out world. Because this kingdom that Jesus proclaimed is coming has come. It is here. It is firmly established. And it will reign forever. The question is what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do with this kingdom? Is it something that you're going to go, oh, it's nice, you know, to come here and worship and sing some nice songs, and I liked the song service this morning. Preacher went a little bit long, but you know, it's fine. I'll come back next week. It'll be all right. are you going to be the kind of person that says, you know what, that kingdom of God is a whole lot bigger than just a few hours in a church building once a week. It's a whole lot bigger than just a time whenever we come and evaluate the spirit service or performance that happens up here on the stage. This kingdom of God is infiltrating every piece of my life. And whenever I go out into my workplace or I go into my community and I talk to my neighbors and all the conversations that I have, all the grocery stores, all the things that are happening, this is a chance, this is an opportunity that we get to talk about our king. We get to show people, as Jesus did, the kingdom of heaven is like you are a living breathing parable of the kingdom of heaven and people are reading you now the question is are you a godly parable or not are you the kind of parable that god would say yes that is the kingdom are you the kind of parable that satan is going yes that's my kind of kingdom here's the deal every one of us has been invited to be a part of this beautiful kingdom of god we've got some work to do. As we prepare for next week, we have some work to do. As we prepare for Christ's return, we have some work to do. Every one of us has a job. Every one of us has a place. You may seem small. You may feel insignificant. But trust me, God can use some mustard seeds like us. Some yeast like us to do some incredible things in his world for his glory because of his kingdom. So this morning, if you want to be a part of a kingdom that is a whole lot bigger than any nation, a whole lot bigger than any church, a whole lot bigger than you and I, then you're invited to be part of the grandest, most beautiful, amazing kingdom this world has ever seen. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of God this morning, would you come? Let us know and let us talk to you some more about that. Come as we stand and sing.